What's up, everybody? Are you tuning in to the Challenge USA on CBS? Well, tune in to me, Tyson Apostle, as I break down each and every episode with my co-host, Amelia Wedemeyer. I'm also a contestant on the show, which gives you all the insider scoop. Amelia, how stoked are you to do this? Tyson, I'm freaking excited. I cannot wait to sit my butt down every single week to watch the show, then come here and recap it with you on the Ringer Reality TV podcast. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. What does your next drive look like? Running between meetings? Maybe a getaway with the whole family? Either way, the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life with premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. It's a special guest after special guest. This this pod, I'm going to start listening to my pod now. I'm having so much fun. This little kid, I started working with him when he was like five, I think, was his first writing job. He was so young. <laughs> but he blew it out of the water back then. He's very brilliant, talented, but he's so thoughtful, too. And you guys have to see this movie. We'll talk about it. We won't spoil it because it's a bit of a mystery movie. But it's so good. And it's so happy to have him on the show for the movie Vengeance, which is out in the theaters, I think, July 29th. BJ Novak, welcome to Black on the Air, my friend. It's so good to see you. Larry, thank you. I've been seeing you on TV, yeah. um, but not, not in person. So it, this is great. I saw you a few years ago. It was at a screening. I think it was for Ike Barinholtz's movie, I believe. There were a lot of office people there for whatever reason. Was that a sort of a, a pre, like a, a cut for feedback? Uh, I don't know. I know it was a screening, but I remember Greg Daniels was there. I think Mindy was there. And I saw you briefly. And, uh, was it The Oath? The Oath? Yes, it was The Oath. Right? I thought The Oath should have got more attention. I, I thought, thought so, that too. was pretty cool. I yeah. really liked The Oath. If I was I told, like I said, yo, man, this is, I like these types of movies, you know. Yeah, where, a great premise done, like, really tight, yeah. And how about Tiffany? Like, seeing her doing something like that, I thought, she needs to be doing more of that kind of stuff, too, you know. Yeah. Which is great. But I saw you at the time, and... Somebody mentioned that you were doing a movie because I said, hey, what's going on? And you said, you're about to do a movie. And I'm guessing that this was the movie that was swirling in your head that you were either yeah. writing at the time or whatever. I can't remember how many years ago it was. Yeah. Oh, this was forever ago. And yes, it was this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. It took a long time to figure this one out because um, it's kind of audacious to do a movie called Vengeance when you come from the comedy world. Yeah. And to kind of mean it, you know, but also mm-hmm. want to talk about other things and be funny. And so to figure out that tone really, it took me a really long time. And so I was talking about it forever. And I really thought people were thinking, Oh, poor BJ, he really can't (laughs) find his next thing. He's talking about this crazy movie forever. So I I was actually probably when I talked to you about it, I was really self-conscious about it. So Mm. I'm kind of amazed that it came out and it came out the way I wanted it to. Well, I think some things need a gestation period. Like some ideas come out a little bit fully formed, but some things have to gestate for a while because there's more observation than the first one that are going to make it the thing. You know, there's different types of observations, I think, that go into certain things that Sometimes the reason why you're stuck is because there's other observations that are coming, you know? Well, I was reading old Tarantino interviews. I have a book of them. Yeah. And he's talking about Inglorious Bastards in like 1992. 
You know, he has these, he has his ideas forever and he ends up doing them. Yeah. So that was kind of an inspiration to me that, that just because you've been talking about something forever doesn't mean Absolutely. you're a deadbeat on, on that project. No, it doesn't. I have, I still have ideas. You conscious about that? Ever? Don't. No, because yeah. you, you can't, because sometimes it's just not the right time for something. It doesn't line up. But I have felt self-conscious, you're right, where it's like, oh, how come I didn't do that thing? But then I go, hmm. I don't think we we're ready for that thing yet. Or I wasn't ready. Like you, you can get ahead of yourself with ideas. It, it's the alchemy of how things work. Sometimes you just don't know. But if you're thoughtful about things, sometimes you're ahead of yourself. I know it doesn't make sense, but no, always, yeah. like sometimes you're actually not ready for the idea that you have. Like you're not ready emotionally or on a maturity level. Oh my God. You're so yeah. right. This movie was the early drafts are so full of like joke jokes. Yes, yes, I bet it was. I mean, yeah, yeah. Isn't that kind of movie? I mean, it can't yeah. be, if you're gonna ask people to really go on the ride, you yeah. can't have joke jokes all over. And I, I wasn't you gotta ready. keep it real. You yeah, keep it real. I wasn't ready either. The same instinct to like right. oh, I, gotta, I gotta get the joke, I gotta get the yes, laugh. Yes, 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 yes. It wouldn't have been itself. Yeah, that's true. Well, let's give people this is sort of a comedy mystery thriller if we're going to be, if we're just going to be general about it. But, and I don't, I know there's, I think people should experience the movie and not know a lot about it is my opinion, you know, but enough about it to maybe intrigue them. So I want to be careful on how I describe it, you know, but you want to give a brief description of what the movie is for people? Sure. So I play a um, kind of shallow, kind of lost um uh, podcaster, wannabe podcaster, yeah. even even more pathetic. Uh, but a journalist in New York, he's yeah. um, his life is going good, but he's also um, according not to as him. According to him, yeah, as far as he thinks right. he is, not as cool as he thinks he is, kind of missing something. And he gets a phone call in the middle of the night that says your girlfriend's dead. Mm. And this is a guy who's more confused by girlfriend than dead. Um, right. So it, it <laughs> seems that a girl he was hooking up with had some misunderstanding and told her family they were more serious, and now. He's expected at the funeral. He goes to the funeral out of guilt. And then the brother takes liking to him and says, uh, you and me, we're going to avenge her death. So this guy is like, well, I'm out. Although, wait a second. Here's a great podcast. Here's a chance to show, oh, why do red state people need to find a conspiracy and have revenge? And I'm going to make sort of a story about these people. Right. So he lives with the family. And as he does, he kind of gets a little invested in the family and emotionally as well as in the mystery. And uh, there's more to it than meets the eye. So, yeah. you know, it is a lot of these things. It's sort of a parody of this sort of um, shallow New York, yeah. LA culture, and also uh, sort of a culture clash comedy. And then mm -hmm. it's, it kind of has this, you know, modern mystery element to it too. What was, where did you first start with this? Did you start with the vengeance idea of it or the culture clash type of thing? What was going through your mind when you were first going, oh, that feels like a movie? It was sort of the, the comedy of the culture clash, like okay. putting someone like myself, I was really, I really was hating myself at the time. And I was wow. like, What's the, what could happen to me? Um, that's true. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people's best work comes from struggling with themselves. Absolutely. You know? And I was like, what would happen to a guy like me and my friends? I just didn't like the sort of way we were living. And I was like, what would happen that would really be a funny sort of comeuppance a little bit? Uh -huh. And I thought, all right, well, where would I take this character that is really out of his comfort zone? And so okay. then the sort of the comedy and the culture clash came at the same time. Oh, if he went to Texas, I don't know anything about Texas. <laughs> and, <laughs> right, right. You know, and then I thought, well, 
to really do it right. Same as we did on the office. It was always about the actual emotion of the characters and made exactly. it deeper. So I yeah. thought, well, what, what is the drama of that? Right. You said, by the way, not to be on too many tangents about the office, we will go on them. But you said early on, you said, I always start with the drama. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, what is this guy talking yeah, about? Yeah, he's crazy. <laughs> he's crazy. I'm like, anyone can do drama. Like, we're here right. to do comedy. Hard jokes is hard. Of course, you were 100% uh, right. What is the story? Like, what is the story? Right, right. Find the comedy. Exactly. Drama. But I was like, what are the jokes? Like, when I would play chess as a kid, I was like, what's the checkmate? What's the checkmate? Right, 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 right. So anyway, because of, you know, lessons of the office, I really thought, all right, well, what, what is the drama? And how does that make it funnier? And then, um, and then I was like, well, it's called vengeance. I got to have a real mystery. You know, it, it's sort of piece by piece. And then I saw get out. Wait, wait. So you wow. had vengeance as a title. Oh yeah. But not as a plot yet. Well, that's what I want to know. Or did you oh. have vengeance as a plot? Like, did you have, this is why when a movie takes five, seven years to just yes. all sorts of beginnings. So exactly. The very right. first thing I saw a poster I have to confess, I saw a poster of a movie called Vengeance, a Hong Kong uh-huh. uh, movie, um, just your classic vengeance movie. Right. Uh, by the way, all great movies always start in Asia, either Japan or Hong Kong. Like any great movie, you go, you know what? There's a Japanese version yeah. 20 years ago. What? What the fuck? Yeah. Well, this plot is so specific <laughs> that it's not quite a remake of Johnny Toe's Vengeance. But right. um, the poster, I was like, I want to do a movie called Vengeance. Yeah. And I kind of smirked to myself, like me doing a vengeance movie, you know, right away, it's not your typical vengeance movie. Sure. Um, sure. And I thought, but you know, what would that line be? Cause I do think what I do well is that line between, I can't quite tell if you're kidding, like you seem kind of serious, but it's also not serious. You know, I have that kind of deadpan. I love being on that line. Yes. Um, and so that title came first, but I filed it away. I was like, oh, that would be fun, wouldn't it? To do a sure. movie called Vengeance. Placeholder. Yeah. Right. And then when I thought of this plot, this guy has to avenge death, I thought, oh my God, that's vengeance. So it, it, yeah. had, those, it had those two beginnings. That's very cool. And did you always have yourself in mind as the lead when you thought of it? Or were you just operating out of, oh, this feels like something, this is a film that I want to do, I want to no, write and direct. I always have myself as a lead because I, I wanted to try that. Okay. And um, I'm a pretty specific actor. So I kind of wrote, I wrote a role that was pretty actor proof. I was going to say, like, how does that affect the writing process yeah. as you're carving well, that fortunately, out? Fortunately, yeah. it was a really personal story. You know, it was like, okay, yeah. what is worst about me and what do I hope is best about me? Interesting. Um, so it, it, it did become personal. And then the sense of humor of it was very much my, you know, yeah. very subtle office sense of humor. So I, I really did write a role selfishly that was kind of actor proof when I started writing it. Um, I was like, no one's going to recast me. I, I really want to try this. <laughs> and then I got terrified. Then I was like, right. what the fuck am I doing? I can't, I can't carry this movie. And at that point, I really liked the script. I was like, I'm going to fuck up my own movie. I'm going to be in the edit bay uh, looking at myself. You know how you see a picture of yourself and you don't like the picture and you, oh, it ruins your whole Every life. picture, pretty much. <laughs> yes. You know, it's weird. Years later, I look at the same picture. I'm like, not bad. <laughs> I know. I, <laughs> I did the exact older. same yeah. thing. All right. In the All moment, right. I'm like, what? How big is my head exactly? Yeah. And then years later, you know what, Larry, you were, were the that, days. That actually is a pretty nice picture. Yeah. Here. <laughs> so my fear was that like, I'd be like, oh my God, what if I get in the edit bay? And I right. don't like how I look or I don't like my voice in a scene and I'm going to want to cut the whole scene. Fortunately, I don't know. I, I did integrate with the story, but I did at the last minute think like I, I did kind of panic and try to cast somebody else. But I, mm-hmm. I and then I was like, you know what? Obviously, they're better actors than me, but I, I, 
I just think I need to, the same reason I needed to direct it. I just Uh needed to show people this is the tone. The Uh idea of like offering it to like Adam Driver or something, like a million times a better actor. But the idea of directing someone great into a tone that I, I only I could kind of show. I thought, Uh well, let's just, not that he would have said yes, but I was like, you know what? You're the best for the role, even if you're not the best actor. I think when it's an auteur type of thing, I think it's more about what expression do you want in this more so than who's the best, you know? And I feel like, okay, this is a BJ statement, this movie. Yeah. So it makes sense that BJ's in it because I really got a sense that I, I mean, I thought I was talking to you when you were doing this movie, you oh, know, good. Yeah. like you're there, you gotta, you gotta know about these people that go to Whataburger. You yeah. Know? <laughs> like, like it feels very personal in that sense very, very connected, you know, to kind of your comedic and artistic expression, which I really appreciate. That's why I, 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 but I do think it's brave to do that too, because you don't know there's, there's a yeah. letting go when you put on that hat, as opposed to complete control of the other hat. Absolutely. You know? I had to, um, I had to grow up in order to, you know, they say yeah. it takes your whole career. I'm thinking in terms of stand up, but which we've both mm-hmm. done. Um, they say yeah. it takes your whole career to be yourself. So yeah. I think if I had done that role five or 10 years ago, I would have been trying to be cool, trying mm-hmm. to be this, trying to be that, uh, instead of, um, doing that trust fall of like, here's me, you know, here's how yeah. I talk, here's how I think here's, um, you know, here, here's me. So I also I remember hearing advice when I first did stand up. said, someone said, what's great about Jerry Seinfeld is you can be talking to him sort of in the green room. And they call his name. He says one second and he walks out there and it's like the same guy you were just talking to. Yeah. And I wasn't like that at the time. Cause you start out much stiffer and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I did think, okay, I, I need to kind of get there for this. You know what I mean? Was any of it, the writing process, any of it therapeutic as you're doing it? Are you getting like insights to yourself and the story? Or is it just maybe after the fact you kind of look at it and go, Oh man, that was a journey. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't realize how personal it was. I was like, oh, this is fun. Yes. Douchebag right, right. Texas. All this stuff happens. This car right. blows up. Who did, you know, all of these things. And then this person does this. And I wrote it and I showed it to um, my friend, Jason Reitman, who I met when he directed The Office. And he was like, wow, it, this is really brave of you to be this That's person. Hilarious. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> wait, wait what? I'm not the douchebag, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I was like, you know what? This is, you just, you just have to lean into it and see and make the comedy out of that. Well, I think it's very contemporary though. The, the inciting incident, which is great. You know, it feels like there are several inciting incidents in this, but the, I will say the character inciting incident is kind of that spark of realizing just how superficial your life is yeah. when you learn about a death of somebody you don't really know. It's a very interesting character inciting incident. The others are, you know, of yeah. course the the guy wants you to stay there and move there and all that. But that to me is very contemporary, which I really liked about it because it, we're so isolated right now and how we operate with the world. Pandemic has not helped that at all, no. you know? And, uh, the thing I really liked about this is you're coring out of some of that isolation and the feeling of that. Even the some of the shots of Texas feel isolated. Yeah. Even some of the story that you get into, which we don't have to go into detail, 
it's kind of about this isolated place in a sense that's kind of in a no man's land, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. which is all that stuff is kind of thematic. I think of that moment of you being in a no man's land in your life, you know, in that, in oh, that sense. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I'm extrapolating a no, lot. Thank you. That's that. exactly the kind yeah. of thing that I didn't think about. I'm sure it's unconscious too. Yeah. After yeah, the yeah. fact, I'm like, oh, right. that must've felt right. I really did want those wide vistas and I wanted a guy in the middle of a beautiful Texas landscape, kind of with AirPods in, yeah, you know, yes, 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 yes. trying to connect, <laughs> yes. um, but being all the way out there and really being lost. You know, yeah. When he comes back, he's different. How much time did you spend researching in Texas? A lot. You know, I'm not from there, but first of all, I had time on my hands and uh, and wanted to sort of get into this. And and I also thought, you know, if this never gets made, at least I will have sort of learned about a new place. Mm-hmm. So um, I actually put on Twitter, does anyone want to show me around, you know, West mm-hmm. Texas? And a few people wrote in, I was like, all right, well, these two don't seem crazy. And mm-hmm. um, I had a friend in Dallas that so we drove out together and, you know, cause the office was already hit. So it's weird for like an actor to come down and be like, here I am, <laughs> you know, <didn't> show me <laughs> around. but I reached out, you know, oh, this person writes for Texas monthly. Oh, this person right. seems to know, okay, it seems to be legit, but it was a little weird. Um, and the people I met were so friendly, which mm-hmm. was the biggest surprise to me because mm. it's such a scary culture. At least they, they project this tough culture, mm-hmm. you know, um, don't travel. Don't mess with Texas. Don't mess yeah. with Texas, the big mm-hmm. guns. And, um, even then the blue state, red state thing, you know, I thought like naively, like, oh, maybe that we, by the time it comes out, we won't have all this. No, no, no. The movie got way more topical, but yeah. on an inter personal level. And I think that is an interesting sort of message and takeaway, not only of the movie, but of my experience that when you get people in the same room, it's very, very different. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very, um, a huge problem. I guess I'm not saying anything new, but I really felt it firsthand that Mm -hmm. these days, most of our interactions are online some way or another. And when you are online that much, you think of that as your real life. And the only way to connect with someone online is to get attention from them. And the, the more intensive thing you say, the more attention you get. And before you know it, everyone's saying the most extreme thing and screaming at each other. Mm-hmm. But at the same dinner table, I've been at Thanksgiving dinner with my family and we kind of, we, even if, if politics comes up, we kind of all want the same thing. At least mm-hmm. I know that some people in my family would cancel other people for exactly what they're saying on Twitter. Wow. But in wow. person, sure. Well, we both want a solution to this. And I agree. This is bad. And this is bad. And so, you know, it was also interesting, you know, my character is quote, extremely online and um, to be at a dinner table in a place with no reception mm-hmm. um, and, and getting a lot of warmth. I think, um, I don't know that, that was my experience that I was like, oh, they're going to see this blue state Hollywood guy and, and I'm going to feel really um, uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. it wasn't like that, which was, a, but you know, it's a real thing. You do get an AR free with your truck. You know, it's also no joke. So yeah. the contrast was really, really um, fascinating and there's no easy answers to it, but mm-hmm. I do think social media is a big part of it. Texas is not really the South to me. It's, it's, it's Texas. What I you think. Know? Yeah. It's its own thing. East Texas is kind of the Houston to Louisiana is more Southy, but yeah, Texas is yeah. its own. Animal. It's very different. It's its own thing. I did you know, a lot of stand-up comedy in Texas back in the day. And I, I read an interview where you were talking about this, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, my image of Texas was completely different from my experience. First of all, 
some of the nicest people I met were in Texas, you know, and I don't know why I thought I was surprised by that. Like, why am I surprised by that? Because yeah. you're right. They, there is this image, but they're fiercely proud of their state, but they they welcome you to their state. It's kind of like New Yorkers in a sense. Like I always felt like, you know, this is one, one of my joke takes on the, the New York LA thing. I always said like LA is douchey, but New York is snotty, you know, like uh-huh. LA, LA is douchey because people are here who believe something that they're not, you know, and so they're douchey, you know, I said, but in New York, New Yorkers, they know that they're something that you're not. And the something that you're not is a New Yorker. And that's what makes them snotty. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, and so it's, it's the pride in the terrain, in the place itself, you know, that's in the bones, it's in yeah. the water and it gives them. And so they relax when they're there. They don't have a problem with, with it, they're they're from Texas. Of course, everything's bigger in Texas. Of course, it's right, a right, state. right. Yeah, yeah. It's not an issue for them. Yeah. You know? So they're gracious about it. Always <laughs> too. Like they're not conflicted about that at all. Yeah. You know, we're, whereas uh, you know, Oklahoma's okay. Like there, you know, maybe they have some. Well, you know, yeah, yeah. Some some issues there, but it's but it's very interesting. You know, meeting people in a state like I have so many issues politically where where Texas is right. right now, and so it's like, well, where's the disconnect with some of the stuff that's going on there that I think and the people that you meet there. Yeah. So the mixing of the politics and the people is a fascinating thing in and of itself yeah. for te- Texas as a place as opposed to the South. Like it believes in liberty, I think. Like if any place believes in liberty, it's Texas. And how did it turn into a place for snitches? You know, like like that law about the abortion law where you're going to snitch on somebody. Wait, you're supposed to be the liberty state. How did this happen? I think it's just so emotionally complicated, even more than politically complicated. And I do think that the noise about politics, um, I wish we focused Uh, Not everyone feels this way. I wish we focused less on politics, even when we disagree fiercely, because the idea of having like a horizon that we're looking for, like, hey, guys, what do we all feel? What do we all feel? What do we all want? What inspires us? What makes us laugh? I feel like if you start there, like the moon landing is the classic example. Like Neil Armstrong Uh. didn't get to the moon and make a statement about Nixon. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, Let's have some things that make us all go, whoa. Right. No. What do we all want here? Yeah, this is one small step for man, one giant leap for abortion. Oh, yeah. very good, Neil. Yeah. Good <laughs> What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, I again? hate, you know, Oscar yeah. speeches that um that say, you know, offhand, even just a topical thing. It's like mm-hmm. besides the fact that, you know, quote Republicans buy shoes to that argument, but besides that, it's right, just Michael like Jordan. let us all admire something. Yeah. Let us all admire that was a damn good movie, you know. And, right. um, and that is healthy. And I think that the society is so unhealthy. And mm-hmm. I think winning the political argument, even if it's for the right side, there's a cost to fighting so much. I agree, because to me, politics is a nasty, dirty game. But difference of opinion is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not threatened by difference of opinion. I like, you know, engaging in, you know, fun debates about things. And I have friends from all different, you know, places in the spectrum. And some people can't believe that. It's like, that's great. I'm like, why would I not want to have people that, who think differently? Friendship itself, like the answers are not in politics, I think. Exactly. In fact, part of this movie, I don't want to ask you about this. It feels more city mouse, country mouse than red state, blue state. Cause I've seen character characterizations, but I think it's more city mouse, country mouse. Like the first thing you ask about is the Wi-Fi. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're totally right. Um, you're totally right. And that's also probably, um, you know, a common conflation of the political divide. You know, Texas is 48% blue because it's Houston, it's Dallas, it's Austin. Right. Um, so even in, I mean, and probably the reason we couldn't, I mean, famous last words that have like an actual second civil war or secession. It's just like the people in California, you go outside the cities and it's red, you know, Fresno is red. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's absolutely city mouse, country mouse. And that's what we should, you know, by the way, that's much acuter phrasing than yeah. state blue state. Maybe we should start talking like that. I think, it is. I think this and the country yeah. <laughs> think this, that's way more. I love that. I think it's more apt because I don't think it's red state, blue state. I think it puts it in a box that it does belong in, you know, right. it really you look at Wyoming. That's a bunch of country mice. Yeah. You know, you know, those, those differences to me are more interesting because they're more about culture rather than, I think culture is more interesting than politics anyway, you know? And, uh, you know, I think part of the movie for me even getting beyond that is, and this is getting back to what I was talking to earlier, it seems to really be about somebody who is desperate to have an authentic experience. Mm. Like this person, I mean, the hookup culture and everything, Yeah, you know, the fact that he's looking to have a podcast, which could be thought of as a shallow thing in yeah. and of itself. But in the reaching for to, to do that, it seems like the thing he really wants is an authentic experience. That's what he feels to be on a journey. He just doesn't true? know it. Absolutely. He just doesn't know it. Exactly. And it really, uh, it, it works very powerfully, I think, from that point. That's where I feel it's so contemporary, um, where I think people are missing that authentic experience. People, especially young people. PJ, I was reading this thing where it's amazing how many young people haven't had that first job experience in person, you know, where they're coming out of college. Like my daughter just came out of college and everything. And they're, all their experiences have been online, including some schooling and how important that authentic experience of yeah. maybe getting a crush on somebody on that job, you know, or, you know, going out drinking afterwards or, you know, all those kinds of stuff. You, you know, you're, you're late too much for whatever reasons you're all the physical things that happen with, but the authenticity in yeah. so many ways people I feel are, are craving for more these days. Yeah. What you're describing is life itself. Right. Right. Yeah. And um, that's what we need more of, but it's funny, you know, that younger generation that hasn't had a job, their favorite show is the office. Yeah. You know? And I <laughs> yes. wonder if that is now that you mention it, if, if they do long for that, I've met, yeah. People that are getting their first job, they're like, I hope it's like Dunder Mifflin. And I'm like, you hope it's like Dunder Mifflin. Dunder Mifflin is the most dysfunctional, like underachieving office. And yet, I I guess when you look at it from a distance, it's human yeah. beings, you right. know, which we don't have enough of those, you know, Stanley is rolling his eyes being himself and Oscar, you know, like this is a human environment. So let's talk about um directing. What was your biggest challenge as a director of this film? Um, I know that you started working on it at the beginning of COVID. Uh, yeah, we shot for, it was a five week shoot. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, then after three weeks on quote, Tom Hanks day, I was like, oh man, it's coming down. And it came down. And um, then we had seven months before we came back. Wow, And we didn't know if we'd come back, which was the least of everyone's concerns during COVID. We didn't know if the country would come back, but um, right. yeah, we had seven months in between. So, I mean, that obviously became a challenge coming back with masks and tests, but that was, I don't know how I could have actually been a first time director with that. 
because that eats up your day and there's so many variables. And yeah. um, so fortunately I had already kind of learned how to direct a bit by the time we went back and everyone was so motivated, but um, you know, directing, I, you know, I directed a bunch of the office and that's very good training wheels or, you know, even more, I compare it to, you know, when you're a kid and you go to a video arcade and you don't have a quarter and you kind of pretend you're playing with the joystick and it kind of feels <laughs> like it. I right. feel like directing the office, which was already so set, every actor knew what they were doing, mm-hmm. the costumes, the camera work. It was kind of like saying action and Randall knows how to film it, you know, whatever. But you have that protective machinery. Absolutely. But you mm-hmm. you still under, okay, you know, you have to have an intuition. You, you're asked a lot of questions. And um, I got, you know, three pieces of advice before I started that I would pass on to any first-time director. One was from Lee Whannell, uh, who directed Invisible Man. And through the Blumhouse world, um, I was introduced to him as, as a guy who could give me advice. And he said, he was a writer. And he said, you know, I, he said, this is going to sound so dorky. I went to one of those WGA Writers Guild um, panels you get a junk email for that said, writers, learn how to direct. He said, it was the most incredible session I've ever been in. They truly were incredible. And he said, the best piece of advice I got, and it's funny, writers who direct, maybe everyone who directs, they're so intimidated by lenses. I've been realizing (laughs) all the technical technical stuff, which doesn't matter. It's really about the heart and how well Mm -hmm. you know what you're trying to do. Absolutely. The best thing you can do is watch the movie in your head a Mm -hmm. million times. Then you get to a meeting and everyone who knows more than you has a question And you can say, well, he's kind of like this. So his wardrobe, I guess, would be like that or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all the advice I got was very holistic in that sense, but it was great. Randall Einhorn, um, Mm -hmm. our longtime DP turned director on The Office, told me direct every department like they're actors. He specifically said direct the cameras like they're actors. But Mm -hmm. I took that to everyone, meaning that you never tell an actor, you say the line like this. You say... I, your character is trying to convey, trying to trick the person or trying to, he's angry for this reason. You get everyone in your head artistically so everyone can give their best inspired performance. And he said, direct the cameras like that. Never say, zoom in on Pam at this line. You say, this is where you realize Pam is lying or something like that. So I took that to, you know, wardrobe too. I'd never say Ashton Kutcher is wearing, um, you know, a white suit. I, that looks like this, I'd say he kind of has a Diplo energy mm-hmm. and he, you know, we kind of, because here's what he's trying to convey. So talking to everyone like that, but I guess what all of these come down to is how do you keep your vision mm-hmm. when every single person knows more than you about what they do? Camera knows mm-hmm. more about camera wardrobe does, knows more about wardrobe. Um, so that you just need to know your own thing well, and you need mm-hmm. to get everyone into your head as a human, you know, but then you have, um, uh, the first AD, the first assistant director is really the captain of it. I think they don't have a good enough title. It's sort of like Dwight, I agree. Dwight assistant I... to the regional manager. <laughs> yes, like yes. First assistant director is like the military captain yeah. of the whole movie. Yeah. You know, it's really, absolutely. Theater. The most important person on the set is that first ad without a doubt because now it's interesting Issa ray is in my movie and i know you yeah. worked with and spoke Absolutely. wonderfully of you that was one of the first bonding things we had oh she's um, awesome so she said to me she's like i do not know why you direct and to her it was like i would way rather um mm-hmm. write and act and produce you know mm-hmm. like in television and get 
get what I want without sweating every detail. I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I interpreted that as you're really going to obsess over every framing of every shot. Like as a producer, she would rather get the big picture so she can accomplish mm-hmm. more. Um, what is your relationship to directing versus say producing or writing? I'm very idea motivated. So the idea to me dictates what my role is going to be in it. Um, there are some ideas that come out in my head very cinematically. Mm -hmm. And so there's a particular way that I feel the story needs to be told. And I feel like, well, I should be helming that because the cinematic version of this is what's playing for me right now, more than the verbal version of it or whatever, you know? And so what I feel that my job is to express that vision clearly enough. So people know the thing that I'm trying to accomplish, you know, and, you know, helping to get whatever that vision is up on the screen and evoking that story. Uh, when I'm more story-based, and of course they're both story-based, but when there's a something there that I just want to, the expression of something is, is the primary thing, then I don't have to direct it, mm-hmm. you know. Then producing is more important because I want to make sure that that thing is stays intact, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, as you know, like with Issa, and I work a lot with young writers to, you know, do shows. You know, I've had some success with that. But one of the reasons I tell people is because I protect what the thing is more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Like my job as a producer, I've always felt that. Like I said, so I always encourage when I'm working with writers, I said, your first job is to figure out what it is. What is the thing about and I said, and I guarantee you, I will protect that with my dear life. The, the stuff around it, those are interchangeable. But the thing that it is, isn't. It's not up for debate. It can never be exchanged for something else. Do not give that up for dear life. Like, And I said, I'll give you an example. Bernie Mac show for me was children are terrorists. I don't negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> like that's yeah. that's what the show was. Uh-huh. I protected that for dear life. Yeah. You know, oh, he can have three kids instead of two. Sure. I don't care. Oh, he can live on this street. and get, Yeah, I don't care. You know, all the other things I we can trade and deal. I am not trading this part. Like yeah. that is the part that you protect. So uh, that's to me, that's my job as a producer is the protection of the thing itself, you mm-hmm. know. And the, the, the director is the expression of the thing itself, you know. Uh-huh. So that's that's how I personally distinguish those things, you know, which I think is why I like television, because I get to do that a lot. But I'm actually going to start directing film myself. Kind of a spoiler alert here. Oh, I'd love to talk about that. Um, yeah. Uh, just to wrap up what you just said, though, TV is so much more story based, which is probably that's right. why you feel the producing is more. Um, can you tell the listener what, what you're doing? Uh- <laughs> Well, no, it's something that I've wanted to do for a while. And I've done a little bit of TV myself, too. But, you know, for me, like I said, it's the ideas. But, um, yeah, I'm going to make that jump in this next year just to do some things. I have some there's a few ideas that I need to get out and express in that way. And just some, you know, it's just a thing that I've been wanting to do for a long time. And and part of it is kind of what you said earlier. This is this is going to sound weird, but part of it is. I'm daring to be who I really am right now Uh in my life, you know, and part of who I am is a director, you know, because a lot of, as you know, this, a lot of executive producers in television, a lot of what we're doing is that even though we're not quite doing that. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. What does your next drive look like? Running between meetings, maybe a getaway with the whole family. Either way, the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life with premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Do you find, and it's weird for me to say, I feel like you've grown because obviously I've- Oh, no, we all, I've grown tremendously. But yeah, what you I've never seen you so open and mm-hmm. the different sides. And I wonder, you know, on The Office, you were a nice guy, but you were, you know, sort of a big deal. It was what you projected and you didn't open. I didn't see all these sides of you. Has being a performer made you more three-dimensional in all aspects of your life? Well, you know, it's interesting. And yeah, I want to talk about The Office days too. Back in The Office days, BJ, my marriage was in trouble. It was breaking up. Okay. And I was desperately trying to work on that. So I was a mess emotionally in those days. Wow. My career was my kind of my lifeboat, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I loved like the telling jokes in there and the kind of stories, but I couldn't really express that. So I'm not going to bring that stuff in the writer's room. So the, cl- the distance that you felt was me closing off that horrible, the thing that I was going through at the time was, it was really a, in my personal life, just a really, a really low point for me emotionally was trying to, to work on that. I talked to Greg a little bit about the time, but not that much, you know, it just wasn't the place. And so that was the distance that was felt. And I was key, by the way, I was keenly aware of it. And I always felt bad about it because, you know, sometimes you feel like you're at a family reunion, but you're not in the family, you know, but, but not that way. It was such a fun group, you know, and that type of stuff. But I was doing that and I was also developing on the side, which takes you away too. You know, so I was, my brain was always split, you know, cause I was, I was there to, Greg hadn't done a, the, the way that the office started, a lot of people don't, you know, I don't know how much is talked about, but my role with the office in the beginning was really to kind of be there with Greg. He hadn't really done a single camera show before. NBC actually asked me if I would just consult uh-huh. on it at the time, because I had done Bernie Mac and all that stuff. And I knew Greg from animation. He was doing King of the Hill. And I was doing PJs, you know, known for years. And so I was, I thought I was there as kind of a buddy kind of, Hey man, let me help out here in that kind of, kind of role, you know, because I was so busy, like trying to develop at the time, you know? Right. So I was, I was always kind of split, but it was so much, the office became so much of a thing and a family you know, and I felt bad because I was away from it a lot. Uh-huh. You know? yeah. Well, you were three days, three days a week. I was three days a week for most of it. Yeah, yeah. that type of thing. But that's you pay a price for that because you're away from it. Yeah. You know, and sometimes it's two days. The best thing when a show is starting, you want to be there as much as you can to kind of yeah. do that thing. But I enjoyed those the the time that I was there. The I wanted to let's talk about those early day laughs. Here's what people don't realize, BJ, and I tell people, but you know this. We didn't know we were going to be a success. Oh, not at all. We were the the least likely to be successful. Exactly. And, it. and Paul Lieberstein once yes. said, look, we all know we're getting canceled. Let's right. just make the funniest show so exactly. that other writers hire us after. Yes. So they know that we were. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, and I used to get people being snotty about us, like, like thinking, oh, you're on the office. I'm like, no, it's going to be good. You know, I know. <laughs> and people thought it was going to be horrible. I remember the pilot was done and people hated the pilot. Yeah. Because at that time, Steve Carell was more being like Ricky, but he, Steve's not Ricky. We know he's right. different. You know, yeah, even though Steve, he, he was brilliant, of course, I think still. But it was really that was Ricky's take, you know. Mm-hmm. And so people were still salty about couplings. You know, and all that stuff. I remember yeah. at the time. Right. They had just remade a very good British show disastrously and it was yes. the exact same team. And I now know. They do it to the office. Yeah. Um, let alone the sort of, so that was 
sort of the um, the comedy snobs were completely against us. Hated us. And then the mainstream audiences had never seen a show that quiet and dark. So like they were used to Didn't friends. Get it. Yeah. So like they were like, this is boring. What is this well, crap? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, oh, how do we do this? Oh, I know. But what saved us was that fucking writer's room was hilarious. It was so funny. And you had this experience, which is great. You got to be on both sides, you know, in mm-hmm. the in the show itself and in the writer's room. You know, what was that experience like for you? Because this was your first real, f- I mean, that's so much liberation, BJ, for your first, you know, breakout job, right? Oh, well, it felt like stress, but I, it, you know, I, I think Mindy and I have talked about this. It it is a bummer, but I guess necessary that we didn't enjoy those years. We love, I mean, all the laughter was incredible and looking yeah. back what we got to do is incredible, but we were so tense the whole time. Yeah. I think we were much more invested in it because we were acting in it too. This was also our chance. So I actually remember the stress, although it, I remember feeling so lucky mm-hmm. to be under the skin of the show when I was in a scene in costume, you know, with with Steve Carell in his office and I mm-hmm. I, I admired the world so much as a writer and and just to feel like I had walked through the screen a little bit mm-hmm. you know that alone felt I kind of felt reverential about yeah. um but the stress of it cuz it's stressful to act in a show oh absolutely a new show it's stressful to write and um and so unfortunately I remember the stress more than the joy yeah i remember you and mindy bonded you know, almost immediately. Did you know Mindy before that or did you guys meet on the show? No, we met on the show and just, we were immediately best friends and worst enemies as though (laughs) worst enemies, as though we had known each other our whole lives. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I forget it was Jen Salata or, or what, but people kept looking at us and smiling and saying, this should be on the show. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's the worst. Like yeah. I'm sure she was thinking the same about me. Right. But I think the weird thing is like, how are they immediately a couple that's been married for 20 years? Yeah. Um, but she's like the closest person in my life now. Uh, yeah. so, and, and was then too. It just, we, we don't really fight anymore. Yeah. It was interesting to have that dynamic happening off screen and then to put it on screen. Yeah. Uh, it was one of the funniest things to me. <laughs> Your attitude towards her on screen was just hilarious, but it almost oh man, seemed- I can't watch it now. I'm like, this is dark as fuck. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is not like, oh, Kelly, this is like a guy who's like, you know, really, really dark. So it's very to toxic. Watch. Yeah. What What are some of your favorite memories of those days? Uh, so you, we know you were scared into that, but do you have like, oh man, that was just awesome. Oh yeah. My favorite memories are... Um, the talking head, if I wrote an episode and was the writer on set and it was time to do Steve Carell's talking mm-hmm. heads or Rain's talking heads, but um, for, for the moment I'm thinking of Steve's talking heads, sort of crouching next to the camera, mm-hmm. right? With, with the page in my hand and what we called the candy bag. Right, the candy bag, all, yes. All, yeah. the, all the jokes the writers couldn't let go That's of. Right. We didn't make the script is okay, that'll be the candy bag. So the candy bag was sort of the bonus material that you could try as alts. And kneeling next to camera and just like both of us trying not to laugh as I, I hand Steve crazier and crazier. <laughs> and he'd like, you know, shake his head and bite his lip. And be like, okay, okay. And um, man, that that was so joyous, you know. That that's for some reason that leaps right to my head. 
Yeah. How great was it work having somebody like Steve Carell as the lead of that show? Um, I don't think people know how great of a guy, just how humble he is as a performer. Uh-huh. On every level. Yeah. Well, first of all, he set the tone. Yeah, you know? he did. He set the tone. And like what, what I was saying, you know, the lesson I had to learn when you were like, it starts with drama. And I'm like, what is this Yoda answer? <laughs> no, it's show. And I had to learn mm-hmm. that. Carell did the same thing. I handed him a bunch of candy bag jokes once and he said... I don't know. These just feel like jokes. And I was like, yeah, dude, <laughs> I'm a joke writer. Funny. And, and you know, he really set that because he came from that Chicago Del Close. Everything is emotion school. That's right. So he right. set that tone. He was so gifted as a comedy actor and yeah, on set as a captain, you know, you couldn't be late because Steve Carell was never late. You couldn't That's be right. a dick because Steve Carell was never a dick. So dedicated. So yeah, he set the tone as a leader, just by example too. And then, you know, I watch him, it, it was just, I never generally watched the show on purpose, but it was playing somewhere where I was at the other day. And Steve just walks into the office and the show mm-hmm. is already funny. Cause this Absolutely. guy is just, his, his soul is just dancing around that office. And yeah. um, I think we all sort of, you know, he was sort of the sun and we were like the moon and the earth. Like we were reflecting off of that a lot. He, he was really the, the driver, the engine of so many episodes, all of them almost. What was it like when Steve left? Man, um, uh, not great. Like, do, you, do you have memories of those days at all? Because I yeah, know sometimes- I mean, yeah. You know, in, in typical Steve fashion, generally, I think the star of a hit show, because it was a hit by then, the star mm-hmm. of a hit show leaving should have had a lot more drama a huge Mm. salary negotiation and, you know, well, I want, you know, to be helicoptered in and have the huge trailer. And, um, and it wasn't that it was like, my contract is up and it's time to leave. Mm. And we were like, okay, like there's no drama. It was sad. And it was, um, it was hard on the show. I think, I think Mm -hmm. the show, um, I think the show was never quite as good. There were wonderful moments in the next seasons. Sometimes I see uh, just a highlight, of Ed Helms and, you know, just, mm-hmm. you know, John and Jenna, that's so good. And I don't know what season it's from until I see, you know, James Spader or something. And I'm like, Oh, no way. Um, but yeah, I do think it lost a lot of its um, sunlight as it were. And um, I think creatively it was a little lonely after Steve left. That's interesting. Yeah. It is fascinating how someone can really be the soul of something. Yeah. <laughs> and even though you're right, it could be good, but that's why casting is so underrated as a part of making something, you know, and how important casting is. Like when you're talking about your movie again, like how important was that to you? How, how Did you have any of these people in mind when you're making this? Was there a type? No, it, but I, I'm very, I'm so happy with the cast, not only because they're great actors, but what I, I wanted the movie to feel dynamic and fresh, mm-hmm. not like a genre movie. And that's why, and, and very like current. And mm-hmm. so the, I, I knew that I wanted people from different worlds all doing mm-hmm. the same tone. So sort of the reinvention of Ashton Kutcher is like, I think, very exciting. And Issa mm-hmm. is obviously like, you know, one of the greats at the moment and just so deep and intelligent. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. Dove Cameron is, you know, like a humongous pop star and huge on social media and also mm-hmm. very funny. And Jay Smith Cameron's on succession. So I, yeah. and the 10 year old boy is just a local hire. So I knew wow. that I wanted um, people that were kind of exciting to put in the same room, the same way the movie's mm-hmm. kind of about, yeah. about putting unlikely people in the same room. 
Are you in the middle of your next project already? Are you writing something now? Are you preparing Well, if you're not going to reveal yours, I can't reveal mine. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this much. I'm, I want to do a romantic comedy. That's what I realized Thank that I want to do. Thank God. That's what the world needs more of. I yeah. watch these movies. I agree. Everyone is happy when a smart rom-com comes on. I agree. I've been saying to me, the greatest director of my lifetime, I mean, Tarantino, Scorsese, but um, Rob Reiner is the one that doesn't get enough credit. Rob Reiner, Absolutely. When Harry Met Sally, The Princess Bride, uh, A Few Good Men. These yeah. are just, you know, Spinal Tap. classic Spinal Tap. Yes, mm-hmm. but Spinal Tap is kind of our style of yes. avant-garde comedy. <laughs> yes, so I wasn't going to exactly. that, but it's amazing for his body of work. But movies like that, that, um, yeah, just like accessible, smart movies. Um, that's that I do think that is what we need. And then TV too, we need more of that. Yeah, I feel like I I I just want to I want the audience to have an experience, you know, and so that's when I think of film. I think of what's the experience the the I want the audience to have. And I've never thought about rom coms to be honest with you. It this came to me recently because I'm not like a huge rom com fan or that type of thing. And in fact, this is very funny. Like I did not have a true experience of Sandra Bullock until Gravity. Okay, like I knew who Sandra Bullock was. I've seen her and stuff, you know. And then I saw Gravity. I'm like, oh my God, Sandra Bullock is awesome. And I said, let me go back and look at her films. I'm like, Sandra Bullock is amazing. Like, how have I slept on Sandra Bullock? And I, I really the proposal. Appreci- She's amazing. Yes. Yeah. But I appreciated the types of those types of movies by, you know, she was my entry into that and how, just how good she is in that. There's a certain style that that requires. Gravity? No, not Gravity, which was great. Yeah. But when I looked at the rom coms, yeah. You know, and there's a certain style that is required there that isn't the same for other things. The the thing that you're giving to the audience and well, you need to be open, like what we were talking about before. You know, you need to show your vulnerability and your quirks and your exactly. Heart, you know, yeah, it's very interesting. And so. because if you show your heart, especially in romantic comedy, if you show your heart, those are the stakes. You know, the stakes aren't I need to rescue the child from the terrorist. The stakes are. I'm going to get my heart broken if I fail. Exactly. BJ Novak, you guys, that is right. right, That is storytelling right there. Your heart broken. Yep. Yep. I haven't done that. Well, I guess in this movie a little bit. Yeah, there is some. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, So is that what you're like? You working on that type of thing? No, I'm doing something even more crazily ambitious than a movie called Vengeance. But I haven't, I haven't, I'll tell you, um, but I haven't announced it yet. So I, I need to kind of keep it quiet, but, um, I'm scared of it. Uh, I'm Good. scared of it and excited about it. And, yeah. um, and if I hadn't gotten this movie made, I never would have tried this, but I'm like, you know what? It's easier to go from this to the second than it is from zero to one, you know? Right. I love that. Um, so before you go, I appreciate you being here, BJ. So fun oh, talking to you. Many people that listen to this are in the business, you know, many of them are, you know, of course they admire your work and they want to do the things you've done. So the words of advice and stuff you have are just awesome. People love to hear that. Any pearls of wisdom you could give people who want to do this type of thing or any advice, any, any big thing that you learned along the way that you think is good to pass along? Yeah. The thing I always say to people is write for the kids sitting next to you. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what I think my best training was in high school. You Mm -hmm. know, I would, I remember sitting in history class and writing funny, um, I don't know, jokes, stories, Mm -hmm. you know, parodies of what teacher was saying and slipping them to my friend. 
Mm. and just seeing if I could make him crack up in the middle of class. That's funny. That's my training. You know, writing an essay for your teacher is, um, even though that's what you get graded on, that's not going to make you break out to the next, to your own audience, which is your own peers. Like you got to, in my senior year of high school, you know, I wasn't a popular kid. I wasn't a loser. I I was in the middle, like most people. Mm -hmm. And one of the popular kids came up to me and said, they say you're the one to write the senior show. Big funny <laughs> show. And I was like, this is it. This is my calling. That's you know? hilarious. And I write for, you know, the school and I sweat it over that. So my advice to people write for the kids sitting next to you, meaning, you know, you make a YouTube video, you do stand-up comedy, um, you write a short story, you know, you write whatever you write or make, don't write it to impress the hypothetical executive or something, write it to actually make the people that, you know, be like, Holy shit, I want to watch that again. And that's your, that's your training. And then people will find that probably when it's like, who is the next voice, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Well, uh, next time we talk, I want to unpack Inglorious Bastards because as I told you at the time, when I, I saw you years ago, I'm like, BJ, this is one of my favorite movies instantly of all time, Inglorious Bastards. It was amazing. I, you know, I, I'm not why it's great, but to get to ride that is, it, is one of the great thrills of my life. Every frame is just amazing in that, in yeah. that film. It's just amazing. Um, Vengeance is the movie, you guys. July 29th, I believe, is yeah. when it... Uh, it's oh last thing. Let me ask you this: How is it important for you for people to see, like especially like your movie on the big screen? Because I think I saw, you know, I watched it on my television, but you know, seeing it with an audience and yeah. a movie, especially in that kind of genre, how is it important for you to for that experience to be there for people? Um, you know, in general, I don't care so much. Okay. Um, in general, I I don't care so much. Because I see so many of my favorite movies I've seen like this. But I do think that there is something about this one. And the reason I'm glad this is being released um, Mm -hmm. theatrically is because it's the same as Get Out, which obviously it's not, I'm not saying it's as good as Get Out, but something like that where it's a little dangerous and the tone is like, whoa, they went there, et cetera. Seeing, I've seen it with some audiences and test audiences and preview audiences and, mm-hmm. you know, the Tribeca Film Festival and seeing it in a big room and seeing where people gasp and when people are deciding, mm-hmm. is it okay to laugh? And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and when they all laugh at the same time. And um, mm-hmm. I think seeing a movie like that, let alone like the big vistas. And I think in the summer you want to see, um, you know, those Western landscapes. So I think this is a, this is a particularly good one to see in the theater. Um, and it's cool, like when it has a lot of ideas and it's kind of movie people are hopefully talking about, I think it's fun to see it early with people. But yeah, I, I think so too. Yeah. Other than that, I know I should be focused features would say, you have to say everyone yeah. to see in the big screen. I, <laughs> I really do think it's a fun movie to see right away in the big screen. But to answer you honestly, um, I, I think, you know, I think seeing things at home is great too. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to beat that experience too, like... I remember seeing 1917 and I was so happy that I saw it on the big screen first. I can watch it on television yeah. now, but seeing it on the big yeah, screen first. Yeah. And you're all going through. Oh my yeah, God. I'm seeing Nope today at 1.30, you know, yeah. for that same reason. You like, it's cool yeah. to be like swept away by something. Absolutely. You know, well, congratulations, uh, BJ. Guys, see Vengeance. You will be happy. 
it has everything you could want in a movie. I really it's glad you, you saw it, let alone liked it, man. That's thank you. Oh, it was awesome. I, you know what? I was so happy, BJ. It made me happy um, because I'm an admirer of your work. And I was like, yes, man, this is, I mean, there's a lot of comparisons and everything. You know, you took the best of like even starting at a Woody Allen type of place and, and ended in a Tarantino type uh-huh, of place yeah. even, you know? And I love that journey. It's like, oh, wow, this movie, st- I didn't know what this was going to be when it first started, when I love that about it. And it was it was true to itself along the way, which is what I love too. Thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah, it does feel like me. And I, I uh, so I'm, I'm especially glad that it meant something to you. Go see it, you guys. See it at the movies. Thanks a lot, BJ. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, good, luck, good luck with that too. Thank Best you. Best of luck with yeah. that. Yeah. 